How's everyone doing this afternoon? <laughs> Pretty good? That was good worship. I really enjoyed it. I'm actually still out of breath because I'm just giving it my all uh, for Christ. So this week, I had the privilege of constructing a sermon, and I was praying to God. I was asking him, all right, God, what do you want me to share with the people at Hope for Today? Because he has a sermon particularly constructed for you. This, is, this message is for you guys today. It's also for the people watching, whenever you're watching. God bless. Thanks for joining in. So today, I'm actually going to be preaching about the commandments of God. Um, not the Ten Commandments, more so about Him asking us to do things, us being obedient. So obedience is greater than the sacrifice. That's the title of my sermon. So why should we be obedient to God and obey his commands? Well, first of all, because when you do, you're displaying that you love him, right? Jesus says, those who love me obey my commands. So that's one reason why. Um, another reason why we should be doing that is because whenever we obey the Lord, he shows us and reveals to, him, to us more about him. There's many different facets of God. There's many different just parts of him that are actually established in each and every one of you. Each and every one of you has like a unique fingerprint, a unique imprinting from God, from the Holy Spirit. So when we love each other, we're actually loving God. I know, whoa, it's pretty cool. <laughs> so the tests that God puts us through are very important. When we are being called to obedience, there, there will be tests in your lifetime. And some of these tests are more like exams, some are sh like short quizzes, but the ones that are like an exam will have a great impact on your life and will dictate part of where you're going in life. You know, your, your future is dictated by your past. So that's why we should be obedient to God. So, and also the test that God puts us through will determine how much of Christ's inheritance that we will receive in heaven. And that's pretty controversial. That, that's just, it's biblical, trust me. You might be saying, I, well, Isaiah, like, what do you mean? I thought, I thought when Jesus paid it all, like, we're, we're going to be joint co-heirs with him in heaven. And yes, yes, we will be, that's true. However, in Romans, Romans chapter 8, verse 17, it says, now, if we are children of God, then we are co-heirs of God in Christ, if, there's a condition, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. So to go from glory to glory, like it says in Romans, we must endure the suffering. And on this earth is a beautiful time where we can be trusting in God and carrying our cross, nailing the desires of our flesh to the cross and carrying that with him. But that's okay because Jesus says, like, my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. light. Yeah, you guys know this. That's good. <laughs> so, and God says salvation is just the beginning. Pick up your cross and follow me. God says, I want to know you, each and every one of you. And I want you to know me. That's what God says. But you might be thinking, Isaiah, like, what are you talking about? I thought God knows everything. How can you say God says he wants to know me? If he is all-knowing. Well, here's what the Bible says, and I'm not, 
I'm not sugarcoating this today. This, this is going to be, um, you know, something to chew on today. Are you guys okay with that? Yeah. <laughs> okay. So here's what, here's what the Bible says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 to 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? and cast out demons in your name, and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, says Jesus, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. That's a pretty heavy word, right? God, he's always searching for people who will be obedient to him. He's He's always been searching ever since he made man. He's searching for people who, who would have a heart after him, who would do what he says, you know? Because every single day, there's a daily set of tasks for you. If you didn't know that, um, we're meant to be a people like his son, Jesus Christ. But you know what? Despite the sin in our life, your faith in free will is very powerful. Even when we are acting out of lawlessness, even when God doesn't know us, we can still perform signs and wonders. That's what, that's what I just read in scripture, right? right? We can still, with the power of faith, heal the sick, Amen. raise the dead, Amen. cast out demons. So I just want to encourage you guys, even if you have a bad spiritual day, you know, whatever you've done, like God has so much grace for you and your faith is still sufficient, even if you're living in sin. Isn't that amazing? That's what the Bible says. But when we are not living in lawlessness, when we are living with Christ in his perfect will, your ministry will be so much more impactful, so much more effective when we are partnering with the Holy Spirit. And God wants to give you that daily plan. Everybody say daily plan. Daily plan. All right. You guys are are awake. That's good. That's good. (laughs) But to be obedient to God can be a very scary thing. As we, as we know, like God said to me years ago, before I went to Bible school, he said to me, Isaiah, I want you to be a youth pastor. And I'm like, why? Why would you want me to be a youth pastor? That's, it's messy, you know, you have to speak in front of people. I don't mind that, I don't mind that, that much, but it's okay. Like, just poor, poor excuse after poor, poor excuse I was giving to God, kind of like Moses. Um, but another time the Lord spoke to me in Bible school, And he said to me during a worship session, Isaiah, my son, he calls me my son, I like that, are you willing to die for me? And I I was caught off guard, I was dumbfounded, I was shocked, I was just like, I didn't know what to say, but then God said to me, my son, I want you to do, and this is not just for me, but this is for all of you too, I want you to do the things other people are not willing to do. I'm tired of being rejected. I'm tired of my people not honoring their king, for I am their king. I am their Lord, not just your savior. So that's what he said to me, and I, I broke down. I was, I was all just, I crumbled. But when we don't obey, our blessings are actually robbed are robbed when we disobey. I'll go more into that later on, but in order for us to change, to become more obedient to God, we have to be comfortable being uncomfortable. 
Because let me tell you, some of the things that God will share with you, it's going to make you feel really uncomfortable. It's going to make you like really squirm to the point where you want to just get out of your skin. But this leads to my first point. Point number one, obedience sometimes will make us feel uncomfortable. I'm going to read from the book of Acts, chapter 9, verse 1 to 9, for some context. And this is a well-known story about Saul, who became, who became the Apostle Paul. So this is before that time. So verse 9, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any people there who belonged to the way... Christians, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus, he's on the path, on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him and he fell to the ground and heard a voice. The voice said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Isn't that amazing? He says, Lord, who are you, Lord? He knows that it's some higher power. He knows that it's, it's got to be something above an angel. The voice says, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And the men traveling with Saul, they stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they didn't see anybody. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened up his eyes, he could see nothing. So... The men with him led him by the hand into Damascus, and for three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. So that's the context. The main part of this section is very important. In Damascus, where Saul was resting for three days, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias, yes, Lord, he said. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street, and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision he has seen a man named Ananias come and lay hands on him to restore his sight. That's amazing that Saul, in the midst of what he was going through, he was praying and praying, because he knew the word very, very well. You know, he, he knew the law inside and out, but then all of a sudden, Jesus comes into the picture, and he takes the position of that king, the person who reigns in the Torah and in the Old Testament. So he's, he's figuring all that out during three days. He's praying. God is giving him a vision. And oh, here's what happens. So, so God is saying to Ananias, go to the house on Straight Street and ask for a man named Tarsus. So he asks him that. But then Ananias says, Lord, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all of those who call in your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to their people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. That's amazing. The Lord has appointed Saul to become the Apostle Paul. And I know there's a section in Matthew, this is kind of off script, but when the disciples, they're, they're meeting with Jesus and the sons of Zebedee, their mother, he's asking Jesus, do me a favor. 
I think this is chapter 22 or 20. But do me a favor. Allow one of my sons or each of them to sit on both sides of you when you ascend to heaven, to the throne. And Jesus, he's like, you don't know what you're asking. That's crazy. Like, can, can, and he asks the disciples, can you drink the cup that I'm about to drink? And the disciples, they say this in complete naivety. Yes. <laughs> they had no idea, man. They had no idea. All right, so notice how the Lord calls to Ananias in a vision. So most of the times when I'm, when I'm having a vision at home, it can just look like something very simple in my, in my imagination. Your imagination is so beautiful, it's so precious, it's the projection screen that God has given you. That's why it's so important for you guys to keep it pure, to focus on things above. Because when you focus on things above, it will act as an anchor for things that God will be depositing into you more easily. So Ananias was ready. You know, he might have been in prayer, he might have been in the shower, wherever he was, he heard from the Lord, and he stopped and he listened, and he said, yes, Lord. So the next thing that I really want to point out is that God is asking Ananias, he, he really trusts him with this task. He's trusting him to go talk to Saul, to go and meet him on Straight Street, to look for that man. Meanwhile, Ananias, he already knows Saul is a killer of Christians. He's literally taking people, throwing them in jail, and or killing them. So he's heard the legend. He's heard of who Saul really is, right? But notice how Ananias, he didn't complain. He didn't complain, but he did inquire more of the Lord. He did kind of protest a little bit. But he did it in a very, you know, a very safe way. He was, you know, he, you, you could really tell that he was close with God. He didn't complain. The Holy Spirit hates complaining. But he did inquire of the Lord for confirmation. He didn't express dissatisfaction or annoyance with the word that God was providing. So let me tell you all, the Lord God Almighty and his, and his Spirit will speak to each and every one of you and ask you to perform certain tasks throughout the day and to help one another, like to help Saul. You know, if God is asking you to help somebody, they might be the next Saul. Like, I'm not saying that. I'm not, like, God will ask you to help people because when you do help people, it helps not only your plan move forward in your life, but it helps other, other Christians' plans move forward. We're all supposed to be functioning together as the body of Christ, right? And sometimes we're the number one choice that God has in mind to complete a certain task. And when you, when you disobey, there will be a, a second choice person. And then if that person disobeys, there will be a third choice person, which is amazing because sometimes, sometimes God will ask us to do certain things and he'll say, you are the second choice for this task, but it is an honor. It is not a dishonor to be the second or third. It's just because people are disobedient, right? If we aren't actually helping God's will come to pass, you're actually working against him and someone else will have to take up the task. But the cool thing is, Ananias received an honorable mention in the Bible. Isn't that really cool? He, like, he was the one to pray for Saul. Could you imagine like, if, he, if he actually didn't? Like, somebody else would have had the task. Here's the thing. Don't disqualify yourself from the blessings of God. Otherwise, that opens the door to physical sickness, spiritual or mental oppression, 
you know, it affects the very land that you live on, like, like America, China, like all these people who are just, all these leaders who are sinning, who are not following God. But you know what? God, he has something very special in store for, for Canada and for America. I've had dreams of Joe Biden, like, stepping down. I've had dreams of what's going to happen to him. I've had dreams of Donald Trump getting back in. And I'm not prophesying that's going to happen, but God's will, it will be done, you know, on earth as it is in heaven. Again, we have a daily set of tasks that we must, that we must do, and it's a privilege. It's a privilege. And sometimes, you know, I'll be honest, I've actually ran away from certain tasks that the Lord has given me, like being called to be a pastor. I, I've received plenty of offers after I gra- graduated. Um, I had dreams. I'm a dreamer. Uh, that, that was kind of my nickname at Bible school. I, I was the dreamer. Uh, I would have a dream of pastors calling me the very next day. And they did. And I knew who was going to call me. And they said, Isaiah, like, I feel like you're, really, you're a really good fit for this position. I think you're the one. Like, pray about it. Consider it. Meanwhile, I know, like, this is something that God wants me to do. But I was uncomfortable. Like my first point. I was uncomfortable. I'll be honest. I'm not afraid to say it. I'm not afraid to say, like, you know, sometimes we, we miss the boat. But there are, there are, there's always going to be another opportunity to fulfill your destiny. All right? But don't wait too long. The older you get, you know, when, by the time you're getting gray hairs, like, watch out. Because if you've missed plenty of boats, there's not going to be very many left. <laughs> but who cares how uncomfortable you'll be, right? God is with you. The Lord always says to me, and he's always saying to you, I am with you all the days of your life. Surely goodness follows you all the days of your life, right? More opportunities will come. So let's go into my second point, because a lot of the time when God asks you to do things, they're not going to make any sense. They're going to be very confusing. It's going to feel like, is this my own thoughts? You know. So I'm going to read from Luke chapter 19, verses 28. So after Jesus had said these things, after he's talking about the parable of the talents, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem as he was approaching Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives. He sent two of his disciples saying to him, go to the village ahead of you and as you enter it, there will be a young colt there, a young donkey, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. That's pretty funny, right? Like, Jesus has no regard for other people's belongings, it seems. He does, but he's God. He can do what he wants, right? So this passage is very significant because in the book of Zechariah, in the Old Testament, chapter 9, verse 9, it foretells a king of Israel riding a colt, a donkey never ridden before, in Jerusalem, proclaiming to be the, the Messiah. And I'm very positive that the disciples, they probably had no idea about what was written in Zechariah. They're just following Jesus. Sure, they've heard him preach. I'm just speculating that they probably had no idea that getting this cult led to some higher significance. It led to a fulfillment of scripture. But Jesus knew the scriptures. He knew the plans of God. In the same way, God is asking each and every one of you to do things that don't make sense because it will fulfill things. It will fulfill things even in your book. You all have a book 
in heaven, like it says in the Psalms. I know, I know personally some people who they've had the privilege, and this is controversial, but they've had the, the privilege of seeing their book in heaven, whether that's a vision or whether they were actually there. But God showed them all of the things, all of the, the future plans and all of the, the tasks that were, you know, that had to be done in their past. And sometimes they missed the boat. But thankfully, God, he is a God of restoration. He is a God who gives us more than just a second chance, 70 times 7. And when we do the things that God desires, he will give you favor. He will empower you. You know, wherever you go, the spirit will go before you. And the Lord, for example, has given me tremendous favor at work. I've been working at a place called VG Meets on Concession 6 for just over a month. And I love it there. I love the people there. The people are amazing. Um, they, you know, if you're, if you're wondering what we do, on my line, <laughs> we kill the pigs and the cows and we sell, we sell the meat. We process the meat, there's butchers there. And I work on the vacuum sealer line where we seal up all the meat and then box it up and then ship it out. But it's amazing. God will sometimes put us through those circumstances where we look like a fool, where we are uncomfortable. So he's telling me, Isaiah, share the gospel, share the gospel. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, okay, I will, I will. So there are times when I've had the opportunity and I've followed through. And then there are times where, you know, God will be so gracious if I miss the boat, he'll give me another opportunity. Thank the Lord, right? Um, and he, he doesn't show any favoritism. He gives us all many chances. But when you're sharing the gospel, when you're praying for one another, when you're going out of your way, stepping into discomfort, sharing the word, sharing about Christ, how do you push past those feelings of unacceptance? You know, run to the Lord. Run to the Lord always. Don't run to things that provide instant gratification like, like food or entertainment or whatever else. But I want to remind you that God is with you wherever you go. People will know that God exists, surely, through your words, through your prayers, through the fire in your hands when you pray for healing, through your presence, through your countenance. When the Lord shines his face upon you, your face will shine too. Some of these days, we're going to see faces actually shining. Can you imagine that? So let it shine. Let your light shine. Amen? So... This leads to my third point. Obedience is greater than the sacrifice, which is also my title. So we're going to read from 1 Samuel chapter 15. This is one of my favorite sections in the whole Bible. Chapter 15, verse 7. So for some context, God is giving a message to Samuel, the, the seer, to give to King Saul, Israel's first king. So verse 3 is in context. Now go, attack the Amalekites and totally destroy all that belongs to them. Do not spare them. Put to death men and women, children and infants, cattle and sheep, camels and donkeys. Don't spare the plunder. That's pretty raw, right? That's pretty crazy. So going to verse 7. Then Saul attacks the Amalekites all the way to Havilah to Shur, near the eastern border of Egypt. However, he took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive, and all his people he totally destroyed with the sword. But Saul and the entire army spared Agag and the best of the sheep and cattle, the fat calves and lambs, everything that was good. These, 
These they were unwilling to destroy completely. But everything that was despised and weak, they totally destroyed. So that's right away we can see that Saul, he's kind of shifting away from the word of the Lord. He's shifting away from the seer, Samuel. So we can see right away that he's got some pride. He's probably giving into um, the fear of man, giving into his soldiers. His, you know? So let's continue on. The word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret, Samuel, that I have made Saul king because he has turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. Samuel was angry and he cried out to the Lord all night. So let that be known. Sometimes when we sin, sometimes when we don't follow through, you know, heaven sees, prophets know. I get dreams about certain things, about people at work, you know, whether they're struggling, whether they're about to come to Christ, whatever they're dealing with, God, he'll let, he'll let his people know. He will let you know what people are struggling with. And that's a really amazing privilege to have. So, and also when we disobey God, it grieves his heart. Verse 12, early in the morning, Samuel got up and went to meet Saul, but he was told, Saul has gone to Carmel. There, has, there he has set up a monument in his own honor and has turned and gone down to Gilgal. So isn't that something? He's, you can tell Saul, he's dealing with pride. He's very happy with his accomplishment. You know, he, he destroyed most of the nation except the king. And then when Samuel reaches him, Saul said, the Lord bless you. I imagine him carrying like a drink of wine or something. He's, he's, he's in celebration. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. But Samuel said, what then is this bleating of sheep in my ears? What is this lowing of cattle that I hear? And Saul answered, the soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. They spared the best of the sheep and cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God. But we totally destroyed the rest. Enough. Samuel said to Saul, let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. Tell me, Saul replies. Samuel said, although you were once small in your own eyes, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord appointed you king over Israel, and he sent you on a mission saying, go and completely destroy those wicked people, the Amalekites. Wage war against them until you've completely wiped them out. That was the instruction. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? But I, I did obey, Saul replies. I went on the mission the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites and brought back Agag, their king. The soldiers took the sheep and cattle from the plunder. The best of what was is devoted to God in order to sacrifice to him. But Samuel replies, and this is really important. Listen to this. Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. To listen is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination, that's like witchcraft, and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the Lord, the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. And then Saul says to Samuel, I have sinned. I violated the Lord's command and your instructions. I was afraid. This is the key. He was afraid. You know, even though God will give us a very clear instruction, 
Do not give in to the fear of man, for the Lord is with you. He has given you all the strength that you need. You know, he has placed people in your life, in fellowship, to help build up your faith. He has given us the word of God. You know, we are so privileged. You know, this life is rigged in our favor. It really is. But Samuel said to him, I will not go back with you. You have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you as king over Israel. Wow, that's pretty heavy, right? <laughs> it's one of my favorite passages, however, in the entire Bible, because Samuel makes it very clear that obedience is more important than offering sacrifices to God. You know, despite how much money you give to God, despite how much of your time you give to God, that's not really what counts. It will, it will open up the storehouses of heaven. It will provide provision, yes, but it won't even get you into heaven by the skin of your teeth. That's the thing. It's, it, and here's the thing. King Saul, he did something that he thought was normal. He thought it was very acceptable. It was very common for kings back in the day to you know, destroy territories, destroy kingdoms, and leave the king alive. It was very common. That's in you know, first and second kings. We can read about that. But a lot of the times the king would put his foot over the, the defeated king's neck as a symbol of victory. And that was normal. It was normal to take the spoils of war. It was normal to take the livestock and to sacrifice them to their gods, right? But this was a pagan and demonic influence that had infiltrated you know, his mind, his way of understanding. But God says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. But that's not what Saul did. He disobeyed, and he ended up grieving God, and he ended up missing out on his future destiny. I think he was first choice. I think he was the first choice king. David was the second and the best, but if Saul didn't sin, this is just my personal opinion, I think, I think it would have been, um, his dynasty would have lasted. The dynasty of David would have been called the dynasty of Saul. You know, things change. But God always offers redemption. When we disobey God, there are penalties. We all know that there's forgiveness, but we have to live with the consequences. Saul, King Saul had to live knowing that his oldest son, Jonathan, was not going to be next in line. He knew that. That's why he was trying to kill David. So fear can be the biggest obstacle. And King Saul is actually a very good example of being a lukewarm believer of God. In Revelations chapter 3, 15, 17, God says, and this is to one of the churches in Revelation, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were neither one or either one of the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and I don't need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. That's what God is saying to one of the churches. Those who are half-hearted, those who are like King Saul, who don't follow all of God's commands. And yeah, I feel like I feel like I am using the shepherd's rod right now, and it's pretty, it's pretty early to do that, but this is the message of the Lord. This is what God wants me to, to tell you guys, so I'm just being obedient. 
Like, I don't care if I'm being criticized. Like, this is just the way it is. But thankfully, when we surrender ourselves fully, we will be in the will of God. There will be the fullness of joy. There will be hope. Peace will reign in our hearts. We will know the voice of the Lord. And we, and we, do, the, we do know the voice of the Lord. The, the sheep know the shepherd's voice. But don't be swayed by other people's opinions. And do not think that sacrifices will be enough. It doesn't matter how, how many resources you spend, you know, like I've said before, but salvation is just the beginning. There is more to come. Your place in the millennium when God reigns, when Jesus reigns for a thousand years, your place and position and power and authority there will be determined by how you live your life here on earth, okay? And how you live your life during the millennium for that thousand year reign because you will live forever during that 1,000-year reign. That's going to dictate your place for an eternity. We are co-heirs of Christ. Everything is available. Everything is available. You know, so many good things that Jesus has won. We are co-heirs. You know, the things that he has, it belongs to us too. But depending on how you live your life, your portion can change in size and stature, okay? But thankfully, the yoke is easy. The burden is light. Jesus will make the cross manageable, especially when you see others coming to Christ, especially when you see powerful miracles, faith, signs, and wonders taking place around you, prophecy, the gifts of the Spirit, his love and his presence. It keeps you going. It motivates you. When we are obedient, we we will feel the peace. We will have blessed assurance of where we stand with God. We are so blessed, so blessed. So just to conclude, so to summarize my three points, obedience will make us feel uncomfortable like it was for Ananias, you know, and don't complain when God gives you a task. Secondly, obedience will make us look foolish sometimes, like the disciples borrowing the colt. You know, they they borrowed the colt, and sure enough, the owners of that young donkey came, and they're like, what are you doing? you, You taking this colt? The Lord needs it. And that's supernatural providence. That is supernatural. Like things, when you obey God, he will open doorways for you. He will do things for you that, uh, that mountains shouldn't do. And they will move, right? My third point, obedience is greater than the sacrifice. Just like how King Saul should have obeyed the full instructions instead of presenting sacrifices. Here's why you should obey God. Ultimately, it is to receive your inheritance. You will obey the Lord if you love the Lord. And how do you love the Lord? How do you get your love to grow, to pound, to pound out of your chest? You know, I always imagine myself opening up the doorway of my heart in my spirit to allow Jesus to sit on the throne of my heart. That's the first step that I do personally every single day. And as he sits on the throne, he will give me his commands. He will show me things for the day. The things that the Father showed Jesus, sometimes it looked like a movie clip, and Jesus would see the things that he was going to do. There were also times where he would just obey the Spirit, but a lot of the time he knew the plan. In the same way, we can know the plan. Everyone say, know the plan. Know the plan. Know the plan. Obedience and trust 
like it says in Proverbs, are also forms of atonement to sin. No matter how, how, uh, how bad we've been or what life we've lived, God will allow you to atone by receiving Christ and living a life of obedience. Remember, God didn't give the Bible just to have so many sets of rules in your life. Rules are good, but these restrictions are meant to protect you. They're meant to preserve you, to help you live a nice, long life, to enjoy the fullness of God, to have the fullness of joy. And I want to end with a scripture. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11 to 14. In him, in Christ, we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, listen to this, when you believed, you were marked with him, with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Let's, let's all bow our heads and close our eyes. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we just lift up your name on high. Thank you so much, God. Thank you so much for the word that you've brought to your sweet, loving, and kind, just your wonderful people. Just bless them, Lord. I pray that you would teach them to be more obedient to God. I pray that they would be like Ananias. I pray that, that they would be like, like the, peoples, the people in the Bible who always agreed, who came into agreement. Thank you, Lord, that even when we stumble, you pick us up. You have open arms, and you are waiting for us to come and to embrace you. So, Lord, we embrace you by faith. Jesus, you are here. The King of Kings is here in this place. This is holy ground. Lord, hope for today is to do nothing but bring hope and just to display how real you are, God, to the people in Waterford, to the people in Norfolk. Lord, just have your way. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Everyone said, Amen.